Good morning. As Carmen said, my name is Mike Henson. I'm one of the volunteers here at Daybreak. I'm a member of the Catalyst team. And Carmen gave me a very interesting introduction. She said, I'm the, I, don't, I don't know that I'm the best-dressed speaker at Daybreak. I think it's just that unlike the pastors at Daybreak, um, I own an iron. So I think that's <laughs> what it uh, really comes down to. We're going to get technical with it. I'm looking around and I don't see as many jerseys as I thought I would. I got to be honest. Is anybody wearing a jersey here? Doesn't? Yeah, okay, we got one over here. I, I'm not a big football fan, but I do have a prediction about today. I do think the Giants are going to win. And I'm going to, yeah, and I'm going I'm to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. I think, hold on, my theory is sound. There's power in a name. I mean, if you think about some of the names of the NFL teams, and I don't know any of them because I'm not a football guy, <laughs> you know, but I, I Googled NFL team names. Listen to some of these names I found. The Eagles, the Panthers, the Titans, the Raiders, Bears, the Steelers, and you have the Patriots. What kind of a name is that? And then last, la- after last service, somebody came up and said, you know what their nickname is? The Pats. They're going to lose. I mean, with a name like that, come on. There's power in a name. But that's just my prediction. So thinking of sports, may I start with a question here. Have you ever been playing a game and you playing outside, it's a hot day, and, and you, you start to get thirsty, but you keep playing, and that thirst just sort of grows and builds, but you keep on playing. And then by the end of the game, you are so thirsty that in your mind's eye, you can actually see what it would be like to take a drink of cold water or Gatorade or whatever it is that you have. That feeling of satisfying that thirst kind of has something in common with our relationships with the people around us. See, when Jesus was on earth, he ran into a lot of really thirsty people. And today we're going to look at the story of one of those people who was especially thirsty. And so the way I want to start is I, w- I want to read this story to you, and I just want you to listen. And if you have your Bible, uh, it's not in your outline, but go ahead and get your outline out of your program. If you have your Bible and you want to turn to John chapter 4, that's where I'm going to be reading from. So I want to read you this story, and then we're going to see what this thirsty lady had to teach us. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him 
will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to the well to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are living with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus said, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find Jesus talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. You know, God built us to have a desire to satisfy the thirsts within our soul. And I think there are a few things that we can learn today from this woman at the well about the one relationship that truly does satisfy. And the first thing that we can learn is the first point in your outline, which is that I can be satisfied when I accept that earthly relationships will always leave me thirsty. Earthly earthly relationships will always leave me thirsty. It's important to notice that Jesus really went out of his way to talk to this lady. He really should not have been walking through Samaria anyway. It was a dangerous place for a Jew to walk through. And typically, they would go around Samaria entirely. But he's going to walk right through it on purpose. And in fact, when a Jew would walk through Samaria, Samaritans would typically follow that Jew and put straw down on the ground wherever they had walked. And then once they left the town, the Samaritans would light the straw on fire to burn the ground and purify it because they thought that the Jews had had made the ground dirty and unclean. But Jesus wanted to see this woman. And so he went out of his way. He went out of his way racially because they were from different racial and ethnic backgrounds. She was a Samaritan. She was half Jewish, half Assyrian. He was full-blooded Jew, and that was a big deal. He went out of his way socially in that he was a man, she was a woman, and really in that time, men were considered better than women. He shouldn't have been talking to her in public like that. It was not proper. And he also went out of his way spiritually because they had different religions. He was a Jew, and she, being a Samaritan, didn't understand all of the Jewish customs. But Jesus saw that she was thirsty, And when God sees that we are thirsty, he goes out of his way 
to help us see what we're really thirsty for. And when we think that we're thirsty for another drink of alcohol, God knows what we're really thirsty for. When we think that we're thirsty to look at pornography just one more time, God knows what we're really thirsty for. And when we think that we are thirsty for success at work, God knows what we're thirsty for. I think we're thirsty for comfort food. God knows what we're thirsty for. And when we think that we are thirsty for one more relationship with a human being, because we think that that will satisfy our soul and quench the thirst within us, God knows what we're thirsty for. He knows that what we're really thirsty for is a thirst-quenching relationship with him, our maker and redeemer. God knows that the thirsty nature of our soul will never be satisfied by earthly relationships and pleasures. He knows they will always leave us thirsty. And look at, look at how many relationships this woman had had. Married five times. She's living with a guy who won't give her his name, so they're not married. And Jesus tells her, go and get your husband. She's obviously been clinging to these relationships. She's feeling rejected, alone. She's thirsty. And he says, well, go get your husband. And what's her response? She says, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus, he would have known this, right? Because he's Jesus. But why did he ask the question then? Why did he say, go get your husband? I don't think he was trying to embarrass her. I think he was trying to get her mind to start working. I think he was trying to get her to start to come to terms with the fact that what she had been doing to this point, it wasn't working. And we do this all the time, don't we? Where we'll try to substitute things for God. And even though they don't work, we keep doing it thinking maybe this time it'll be different. You know what that's called? There's actually, there's a theological term for that. When you keep doing the same thing, but you expect different results, it's stupid. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the word for it. But that's what we do. We do the same thing over, I'll, 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 tr- I'll try this. This will quench my thirst. And then it doesn't. And Jesus is trying to get her to understand that returning to this this well of, okay, well, surely this marriage will fulfill me. This is the one. Or the well of, this man, he's my soulmate. I know it. This time it is. Or the well of, things will be different this time around. One way or another, it's going to work out. It's foolish. It's a futile choice. Because that well is dry, and it was never intended to be the source that would satisfy the thirst in her soul. So why does she keep going back? Why do we keep going back to these things that don't quench our thirst? I think for her, it's because she didn't know any better. And so she was stuck returning to a well where she would let down her bucket, hoping for something that would quench her thirst. And when she pulled the rope up, she might get a little bit of water but she would get a lot of sand and rocks along with it. And so Jesus was right. He said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. And whatever we substitute for him, it will not satisfy us. Whatever it is that we are substituting for God right now will not satisfy But that seems counterintuitive in our culture, doesn't it? Because don't we live in a culture full of products that tell us you can get satisfaction if you get this. Fill in the blank. Let me give you some examples. Pepsi. Pepsi's slogan for a while was 
Pepsi, ask for more. So if you're thirsty, get a Pepsi. And then once you finish that, get another Pepsi. Just keep asking for more. And eventually, you will be satisfied. Adidas. Adidas slogan is, impossible is nothing. Almost seems like they stole that from somewhere. I don't, I don't know where. But think about it. If you're wearing, if any, any, everybody in here is wearing shoes today, if they're not Adidas, you are bound by the laws of physics, gravity. Um, you can't run very fast, that's for sure. But if you get a pair of Adidas, you will be satisfied because impossible will be nothing for you. MTV. Some of you might remember this one. MTV's slogan for a while was too much. They may know it. Heard it over here. Is never enough. Too much is never enough. Darn kids with your rock music. MTV. Too much is never enough. Just keep watching. Keep watching. Keep soaking in this channel and you'll get satisfied. I think Snickers is the best because they don't pull any punches. They just put it right on the wrapper. Satisfied? No. Look at that. Look how, like, this could satisfy? <laughs> Tell you what, I'm going to throw some of these out. You, if, you, if you are satisfied by this, then you are a lucky person. You are easy to please. I don't know how this could ever satisfy someone. Now, the one company who I will give them credit, because they have it figured out, Men's Warehouse. When you leave Men's Warehouse, you're going to like the way you look, okay? <laughs> and uh, I guarantee it. <laughs> Credit to them. See, Jesus is telling this woman that the things of this world, they don't satisfy. And if you keep drinking from this well of stagnant water, you're just going to keep having to come back because you'll get a bucket with a little water, but a lot of sand and rocks. You know, when I, uh, when I first started teaching, I'm a, I'm a teacher by profession. When I first started teaching, I was a long-term substitute. And if anybody's ever done that, it's a pretty nerve-wracking experience because the whole year, you don't know if you're going to have a job the next year. And so every day, some, I'd see you nodding your head. Every day, you just wake up with this knot in your stomach of what am I going to do? And so I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I am going to become best friends with everybody on my hall, and then I will be such an asset that they'll have to keep me, and everybody will just think that I'm the best. And I'll feel more secure if I know that I've built genuine friendships through bribery on the hallway. <laughs> so I, I did everything I could think of. So, you know, people would be walking to lunch and they'd be walking without me and I'd run and I'd catch up and, hey, what are you guys talking about? Because people love when you jump into their conversations. It's awesome. Or I'd, I'd bring in donuts. I did that like once a week, once every other week, and I'd go home and I'd tell my wife, I'd say, hey, I, I took in donuts today and everybody thought it was really cool. And she'd say, what did you think they were going to say? Like, what do you, you know, you took in donuts, you know? No, I don't, I don't want your donut. But it didn't work, surprisingly. I didn't become best friends with these people. In fact, what happened was sort of the opposite. I actually ended up pushing a lot of them away. And specifically this one guy across the hall from me, his name is Andrew. And I knew Andrew was a Christian. And we just didn't get along. And I thought, but we should because we're both Christians and all Christians like each other. <laughs> so why don't we get along? 
So, you know, I thought, well, I'll just try that much harder. Didn't work. And so I remember going into his classroom the one morning before school, and we started talking. I just, I just said, man, what's up? Why aren't we friends? And, you know, I, I've tried so hard with you, and you're a Christian, and I'm a Christian, so we should be friends, and we're both cool guys. And, you know, what's, you know I just try to appeal to his reason. And as if he were waiting for me to say that, he said, man, you just said it. You're trying so hard. He said, you're killing yourself here, man. What are you doing? said, you are hoping for so much more than any of us on this hallway can give you. And then he really challenged me. He said, and you say you're a Christian, but where is God in all of this for you? I have not heard you say one time that you are depending on God to build these relationships. And so we talked for a while, 15, 20 minutes, and he said, let me pray for you. And he prayed for me. And then he gave me a big hug. And then he looked me in the eye and he said, now leave me alone. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So we laughed and I went back to my classroom. But you know what? That day at lunchtime, I was putting on my coat to go to lunch because our cafeteria is in a different building than my classroom. And he was at my door. He said, come on, man, I don't got all day. Let's, let's go to lunch. Let's go. And he reached out to me that day. See, the, the problem wasn't with the people on the hall. The problem was with me. And the problem wasn't that I was thirsty. We were made to be thirsty. The problem was that I was expecting, I was looking for more than what those relationships were realistically able to provide. And if you're here today and you're thinking, well, that's me. I thirst. I feel that. I always want more from people. I, I want you to know that that is normal. You were made to thirst. We are supposed to want more. But what we have to learn is that only Jesus can quench that thirst. And that's the second point in your outline is that you will be satisfied when you can acknowledge that only Jesus can quench your thirst. You know, there was this ongoing theological debate in the time of Christ when he was talking to this woman at the well. And the debate was, where should you worship God? Where is the correct place? And the Jews said, you have to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. That's the holy place of God. And the Samaritans said, well, we think you can worship over here and that's okay. We like to go up on this mountain. This is, this is where we like to go. This was a vital separator between the full-blooded Jews and the half-blooded Jew-Assyrian mixture that made the Samaritans. And this is one of the reasons they just could not get along. And so as they're talking, this woman starts getting the idea that here's a, a Jewish man who seems to have some answers. And so she takes a risk and she asks him a question and she says, well, where do you think we're supposed to worship? And the answer to this is either going to bring them closer together or push them further apart. So she says, where, where do you worship? I mean, you guys say Jerusalem. We say the mountain. What's the answer? And Jesus says, what if there's a third alternative? That true worship does not lie in a geographical location. 
Rather, it's located in the interior of every human being, deep within your soul. I think what Jesus was trying to say to her was, you're not getting this. It's not about religion. It's not about how many times a day you do this or do you go here on Sundays or which church do you attend. It's not about that. It's a heart issue. God requires that we worship him in spirit and in truth. Christ said those are the worshipers that the Father seeks. So what does that look like? Well, I think in spirit it means that we're connecting with God from the depths of who we are as the one that he created you to be, which means acknowledging, God, I'm thirsty. I want something more. And that is a good thing because you made me to be that way. And then the truth part is saying, I will have no other gods before you. I'm acknowledging that you are number one. And my other gods won't be my relationships with other people, including my spouse, including my kids, including my parents, or my boss, or my coworkers, or my teammates, or whoever it is. And in the midst of all this confusion and the question asking and the the banter back and forth between Jesus and this woman, I, I think she did get one thing right. She knew that something big was going to happen. She knew that at some point, God would show up and reveal all of what is true. That the Messiah, the rescuer, the hero would come and with him would come all of the answers. And she says that. She says, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Now, what's amazing is, it just happened. Like, she's, she's, he, Jesus says, you've had five husbands, and you're living with a man now who isn't your husband. And she goes, well, I know there's a guy coming who's going to tell us a lot about us. I don't know when he's getting here, but uh, it's what he just did. So Jesus just, okay, I'll just, I'll tell you. So he says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And it's important to notice what he says here. He doesn't say, well, that's me. He doesn't say, oh, I'm, I'm the dude. That's, I'm the, it's this, you know, it's this guy right here. He's got two thumbs and he's the savior. Boom. He doesn't do that. He's very specific with his words. He says, I am he. I am. Jesus is calling back to God's name in the Old Testament. Do you remember the story In Exodus chapter 3, where Moses sees God in the burning bush and God says, Moses, I am sending you to deliver my people. And Moses says, well, when they ask me who sent you, what should I say? And what does God say? Tell them that I am sent you. See, Jesus knew that there's power in a name. And so he's telling this woman exactly what God told Moses. And he's telling her, I am the center of everything. I am running the show. I am the same every day forever. I am the owner of everything. I am the creator of life. I am the sustainer of life. I am the Lord. I am Savior. I am more than enough. I am inexhaustible and immeasurable. I am God, and all of the men who you have married, and the one you're living with now, they are not God. And whatever substitute you are trying to fill in, 
That is not God. God's words tell us if, if you seek him, he will be found by you. So what do we find? If we seek the great I am, what is it that we find? Well, there's a pastor named Louis Giglio who asked the same question. And he came up with a a list of things that we find. And I want to read just a few of these. And I want to see if any of these apply to you. So listen to this list. See if you can relate to any of these. I need something new in my life. I am. Who could possibly figure out all of my problems? I am. I feel like I'm drowning. Can someone help me? I am. What works? I am. What's the latest thing? I am. What's the hippest thing? I am. Nobody seems real anymore. I am. There must be something more than just coming to church on Sunday. I am. My generation deserves more. I am. I'm pouring into others, but who's pouring into me? I am. Not sure who has my back. I am. I can't hold this all together. I am. No one listens to me. I am. I need to be changed. I am. I'm giving all that I can, but it's never enough. I am. I quit. I am. I can't. I am. I need a drink. I am. I need a fix. I am. I need someone to to hold me. I am. I am the Lord. I am accepting of you. I am your security. I am the one who made you significant. And I am the only one who can satisfy. And once you have that relationship with I am, you will find that satisfaction. But it doesn't end there. The story's not over for us or the woman at the well because the last part of the satisfaction is point number three in your outline, which is that I can be satisfied when I become a source of living water. Come a source of living water. You know, in the past four years that I've been teaching, I've gotten to see my relationships change with a lot of people, including that guy, Andrew, who's one of my best friends now, <clears throat> partially because I leave him alone. Um, but, but we get along great. And I think one of the reasons that I've seen a change is because I'm always working towards being satisfied by Jesus. And this is, if I'm honest, a daily effort and a daily struggle. Because if you're like me, you find yourself falling into the slump at work where you're like, you know, I'm really killing it today and nobody has said good job. Nobody's even noticed. I got two buddies down the hall. They're not really giving me much in our relationship today. I don't know why. My boss hasn't said anything to me lately. But those times 
when I'm really feeling quenched by Christ, those, those are the times that I'm a source of living water. Those are the times that I'm a life giver. Those are the times when I'll write a note to a colleague saying, you're a really great teacher. Good job today. Or I'll tell somebody, you did awesome at putting this task together and completing it. Or I'll pull a student aside in my classroom and say, you were a rock star today. Keep it up. And I see their face light up. And suddenly, I am satisfied because I'm pouring the love of Christ into other people. I'm not just taking a drink of water. I'm giving the water to those around me. And I'm a source. And that's what the woman at the well did. Says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. You know, John records the woman at the well as the first evangelist in the history of Christianity. She is the first one to spread the good news of Jesus and have people believe because of it. She went into that town, she told people about Christ, and they came and saw him, and they chose to believe. And this is not the kind of person who you would believe. I mean, she had a pretty bad reputation, married five times, living with a guy who won't give her his name because... He knows what's going to happen. They'll probably end up divorced. But they believed. It's probably because they could see that she was satisfied. Even though she came out and she said, look, this guy told me everything I had ever did. She was acknowledging her own past. Check it out. Check out what a sinner I have been. But more importantly, you got to come see this guy. He knew about it and that wasn't his main concern. You've got to see this man. Could this be the Messiah? Jesus said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Did you notice what she left at the well? She left her bucket at the well. She didn't need it anymore. She left the bucket of stagnant water and sand and rocks. And with it, she abandoned her feelings of insignificance and discontentedness and insecurity and insignificance and insignificance and insignificance. I just can't say that one enough. She left her insignificance at the well. And ultimately, her thirst, she left it at the well. This, wo- this woman, she, she no longer needed the well of still water because she now had a river of Christ's life-giving power flowing to her and through her. We were made to be thirsty. And I pray that today you would be quenched by Christ. I'd like to read a passage from Psalm 63, and I'd like to have that be our closing prayer today. Would you bow your heads with me as I, as I read this passage for us? And I just want to invite you that if you're here today and you feel like God has been speaking to you, that you are drinking from the wrong wells, would you just ask God to make this your prayer today? God, you are my God.
I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night, because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, and your strong right hand holds me securely. Father, may this prayer always be true of us, and it is in the powerful name of your Son I am. Amen.
Jesus, thank you for being the source, for being the one who satisfies. We love you. Amen. Well, this is the part of the service where we ask you to respond to what God is speaking to your heart this morning. In your program guide, you'll find a little white card that looks like this, and you can fill out your name and information on the front. And on the back, there's a place for you to write out your response to God this morning or your prayer request today. And one of the things that I was really struck by this morning as Mike taught was um, just the reminder that we were made to thirst. The problem isn't with my thirst. The problem is where I go to try to quench that thirst. And I had to ask myself this morning, am I going to the right source to get that need inside of me filled? Am I looking to the relationships in my life to try to fill something inside of me? Am I going to other places in order to meet that need, that longing inside my heart? Or am I going to the great I am as the source of everything that I need? Perhaps for you, one of your responses this morning is to consider whether you're drawing from the well that truly is the source, whether you're going to God, to the great I am, or whether you are looking to other places. We have a little tool, simple little thing for you today. This might be part of your response today. There's a little bookmark in your program guide today. And it just simply says who you are, who the great I am says that you are. I am accepted. I am secure. I am significant. And on the back, those statements are kind of written out a little bit more clearly from the scripture verses that are referenced on the front. And I know one time someone gave me an identity statement like this, pretty much all the words that are written on the back, and they said, I want you to read this out loud every day for a week and see what happens. And I thought, that's stupid. (laughs) That's not going to make a difference. But you know what? I followed their advice and I did it, and it was so powerful to me to read that identity statement every day out loud. There was something powerful about that. And I finally got it. The reason that it was powerful is because it took me back to the source. (laughs) This is who God says that I am. I don't need beyond any other. (laughs) So that might be a response for you today to take this simple little bookmark tool 
and commit that this week I'm going to read that out loud. I'm going to go back to the source. Let God remind me of who I am in him each and every day. Maybe there's another way that God is asking you to respond. You can write that on your back on the back of your card, and we would love to have our prayer team be able to pray for you. Or if you want prayer this morning during this next song, you can exit through the doors in the back down the hallway to the left. Our prayer partners would be glad to pray with you this morning. But in these next few moments in this service, I challenge you to consider where are you going to be the source of your identity? And how does God want to fill that hole inside of you today?